Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Good morning. Man, what a morning already. If you guys don't know what this is, this is my Indiana Jones whip, so if you're not paying attention, whoosh. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, man. Well, have you been challenged this week like I have with your tongue? There have been a couple times where Allison has said something, and I haven't even responded. I've just stared at her. And it's not even been a death stare. It's like, is something wrong with you? I'm like, I, I can't. If I open my mouth, I'm just going to say something not okay. And so, uh, so we're going to actually go back and revisit James chapter 3, uh, because evidently there wasn't enough of a focus on the mouth last week. And uh, as you know, we've been in this, in this series. This is the fourth week of a series going through the book of James. And I am uh, sadly reporting that we won't get to uh, chapters 4 and 5, but that's okay. If you've got eyes, you can read. If you've got ears, you can hear. And, uh, and so feel free to dive into those chapters yourself. Um, but uh, last week we honed in our focus on a couple of things, obviously, pertaining to the tongue. Uh, the first one was that the tongue is accountable. The tongue is accountable. James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Not many of you should be teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, this scripture right here is focusing on teachers, and if you want to know why James wrote what he wrote, you can go back and listen to the message last week. But what that verse actually implies is that he said, those who teach will be judged more strictly. That implies that we will be judged for what we say, and those who teach will just be judged more strictly. And we know that this is not, uh, that the tongue is accountable, not just because of what James said, but because of what his brother Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, when he said this, he said, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. That's what Jesus said. Now, what's interesting about that word careless is in the Greek, it means any undisciplined or lazy word. Undisciplined or lazy. Undisciplined. That's what a careless word is. And, and, and I've, I, have, I am, hey, guilty. <laughs> Let's just like ease the tension. Guilty, guilty of careless words. Even from the pulpit. Pastor Dwight on a Monday morning. So you said that. Yeah. Undisciplined and lazy. Have you ever been in the middle of conversations with people and you, you hesitate and then you're like, man, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Undisciplined and lazy. Now, this word account is explanation of. I, I'll never forget, uh, and you've heard me say this a lot, but one of my favorite shows is Seinfeld. And in this particular episode... Elaine becomes like the CEO of a company, and she finds that in becoming the CEO, she has the privilege of the, 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 the credit card where she could just start to buy whatever she wants until the accountant comes in 
And it's like, uh, what was the reason for this purchase? And what was the reason for, like, I remember she was buying just outlandish stuff for her office and all this stuff. And the accountant comes in and he's like, um, you need like one of those Russian hats. Like, what are you doing? But what, what is the purpose of that? That same activity is what Jesus is talking about. We're going to stand before him and he's going to be like, um, Gabriel, roll the tape. And you're like, oh, man. And he'll be like, um, so what, did, what was your intention behind that? That's what, that's what Jesus is saying. And so our tongues are accountable. We need to know we need to know that our tongues are accountable. The second thing that we talked about last week is that our tongue needs to slow down. Understand this, James 1.19. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. We need to be slow to speak because I believe that we drastically overestimate our comprehension of what we hear. <laughs> How many of you have been quick to speak because you think you know where the comment is going? And then you're like, yeah, for you know, blah, 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 uh-huh. And they're like, no, not actually. I was going this direction with what I was saying. They're like, oh, I think we drastically over, uh, over exaggerate and overemphasize our ability to comprehend what we hear. There was actually a Greek philosopher that made this statement thousands of years ago, and you've heard it before. He said, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. <laughs> God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, so that we can listen twice as much as we hear. How many of you know that just because we hear so, something doesn't necessarily mean that we listen and we understand it? In Proverbs 18, 13, wow, this is such a sobering scripture. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. How many times have you been guilty of not really knowing what you're talking about? <laughs> you just jump to conclusions. Mark Twain said, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open one's mouth and what? Remove all doubt. Prove it. <laughs> it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. So we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. So what else from James chapter 3 do we need to be reminded of? Number one, we need to be reminded to be careful with our words because the tongue does damage long after the initial words are spoken. The tongue does damage long after the initial words are spoken. Some of us, we live under a perpetual rain cloud of words that were spoken to us years ago. And whenever the enemy wants, he just allows it to rain. And, and you are instantly in the moment, you're reminded of what was said. Even at this moment, I can recall the words. Now, let me just um, say this, that when it pertains to parenting, God's grace is so amazing because there are moments that you have as a parent where things come out of your mouth that you did not want to say 
and you think they do damage and destruction. But let me tell you that not every word lands. And that's God's grace. There are times where we say things and it's like, oh my gosh, they're going to remember that forever. And then you have conversations with them later and they're like, yep, I don't even remember that. And you're like, thank you, Jesus. So there's grace in the middle of this, but nevertheless, some land and some don't. And so we need to understand that the tongue continues to do damage long after the initial words are spoken. James chapter 3, 5, and 6 says this, Consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. On September 5th of 2020, 23,000 acres of land in El Dorado, California, began to be burned to the ground. 23,000. The casualties included five homes, 15 other buildings, as well as the life of a 39-year-old firefighter named Charlie Morton. The blaze lasted for 23 days. Think about that. 23,000 acres, 23 days. 1,000 acres a day were being consumed on average. The blaze lasted for 23 days beyond its small beginning. And how did it start, you ask? By a smoke bomb at a gender reveal party. All of these people gather together, you know, gender reveal parties. Everybody's doing it for the gram, so everything is becoming ridiculous. You know, it's like, it's a balloon being dropped from a crane with color in it. It's a boy, it's a girl. It's just ridiculous. And so at this particular party, someone's backyard, um, the smoke bomb had a color in it, like pink for girl, blue for boy. And so they lit it, they lit it, and it started to smoke. And around the area, it was so dry that things caught fire. Let me just say this. You don't know how dry people are. You don't know how dry they are when you speak things. You don't know who's going to catch fire by what you say. You don't know about the collateral damage. You don't know that you can be speaking directly to someone else, but you are among other people within hearing distance that may catch fire by something the person that you spoke to didn't get caught fire by. The damage continues on. And so, sadly, Manuel and Angela Jimenez were indicted for 30 crimes including involuntary manslaughter. This is true. They were indicted, listen, because of a small spark that got out of control. And so James said, consider what great a, a forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. See, we need to be careful with our words because the tongue does damage long after the words are spoken. And the truth is that we can all agree that we've been on the giving end and the receiving end of this truth. A verbal burn still burns. It's like the embers of a word that never leave your memory. 
These negative and destructive words, they linger in the mind like a tenant that never leaves. You can be living your life and then out of nowhere you are bombarded by that rain cloud where the enemy allows those words to be poured over you again. Here's one of the most sobering thoughts about this truth is that we have no control over the residual damage that our words can inflict on somebody else long beyond the moment that they've been said. The message translation says this same verse like this. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. I, I don't know why, but I'm reminded of that, um, that bear. Do you remember the commercials? Smokey the bear. <laughs> it only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world, turn harmony into chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and go up in smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. Now let me flip the script here. If your tongue can speak negative words, you can speak positive words. Because in the same way that the destructive things that have been spoken to me can be brought to my mind, so also the uplifting things can be brought to my mind. Because in your mouth, you have the power to speak life or death. And as Deuteronomy said in a totally different context, therefore, choose life. Choose to speak life. The tongue does damage. To demonstrate the effect that our words can have, I want you to listen to this story. A young woman confessed to an older man that she had a problem saying too much about people. Anybody familiar with that? Show your hand right now. No? <laughs> he told her to go buy a bird and pluck out all of the feathers one by one as penance for her sin. She did all of that, returned back to the older man, and then she asked him, okay, what do I do now? He said, now... I want you to go back and pick up all of the feathers. I can't do that, said the girl. The wind has blown them in every direction. That is true, said the wise man. Neither can you take back the words that you've spoken. Collateral damage, residual damage. So we need to be careful with the words because the tongue does damage long after the word is spoken. Our second point comes from the next verse, James chapter 3, verse 6. It says, the tongue also is a fire. You just heard that, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Let's stop right here. Sets the whole course of one's life on fire. I was just talking earlier today with, with Brother Minister Chuck Robeson. And he said, man, how many times have I gotten myself in trouble just by my mouth? Have you ever gotten in way too deep and you couldn't talk yourself out of it? Look at that scripture. It says it sets the whole course of your life on fire. There are so many times where we get in too deep and we can't even talk ourselves out of it. And it goes on to say, and your tongue is itself set on fire by hell. We need to be careful with our words, number two, because... Our tongues can be used to accomplish the enemy's agenda. It's important to note not only 
that the tongue is a fire, but also what can set it on fire. James said the tongue itself can be set on fire by hell itself. What does that mean? This is so important. Listen, that there are moments where our tongues are what the enemy uses to accomplish his agenda. How do I know that to be true? This is not just something I Googled, pulled the quote off, and then said, man, that's good. I'm going to put it on the paper. Because of what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. Remember, Jesus is revealing what he's going to do. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to raise from the dead. And, Jesus, and Peter speaks up. Now, Peter is on the tail end of just saying something that was amazing. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? He says, you're the son, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he's like, blessed are you, Peter. You did not get that yourself, but heaven itself revealed that to you. And Peter's starting to feel good about himself. And then literally moments later, <laughs> Peter opens his mouth and goes the opposite direction. Jesus is like, now that you know this is the foundation of who I am, I can reveal more about what my mission is. I'm going to die. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be arrested. And then I'm going to be charged. And I am going to die and rise from the dead. And Peter's like, no, you're not. It's like he felt like the freedom. He got instant affirmation. He's like, man, everything I say is gold. So I'm like, no, you're not, Jesus. And then instantly he goes from like being on the top of the spiritual chain of the disciples to the lowest of lows because Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> what was the problem? The problem was Peter's mouth was now being used by the enemy for his agenda. And so here we see this same, this truth happening. See, Peter thought he was merely, merely sharing his personal opinion without realizing that what he was sharing had originated in the pit of hell. Jesus, in the moment, identified where Peter's words were coming from. Peter, Peter didn't know. Peter's just thinking his, it's his opinion, but his, his opinion actually has a source. It actually is coming from somewhere, and Jesus quickly identified, no, that's not Peter. That is the agenda of the enemy trying to get in the way. Let me just tell you something. Do you want to know what the enemy uses out of your mouth to accomplish it, 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 your, his agenda? It more often than not begins and ends with your opinion. Right. If you want to know what the enemy uses more often than not, it begins and ends with your opinion, with our opinion. Do you, so listen, well, I think that they should. Can you believe that they did? If I was them, I would. They need to. I feel that. If I was them, I would. That's just wrong. I don't like that. If I was them, I would never dot, 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 dot. Opinion, 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 opinion. Division, 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 division. Destruction, 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 destruction. Discouragement, discouragement, discouragement. Doubt, discord. It begins and ends with our opinion of what we think everyone else should do if they were us. 
That's what the enemy uses to accomplish his agenda. Allison and I, we kind of counter each other because there are times where she's like, you know what, like, if I was in these shoes, I would do this. And I have to say, why do you care? And then I'm doing the same thing, and she's like, why do you care? And after enough of those volleys back and forth, you realize, why do I really care? The enemy is using the mouths of the body of Christ for his agenda. And it's often our opinions that do the damage. For this reason, James goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, with it, our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be this way. James is like, this is not what, the way it's supposed to be. That, and it, it, I wonder if like he was thinking about Peter when he wrote that verse. Like, like for instance, when Peter, and Peter's like, oh, again? Out of the same mouth comes both, both blessing and cursing. So we need to be careful because the enemy can use our mouths for his agenda. Number three, the tongue makes great boasts. Verse 5, likewise the tongue is uh, a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The New Living Translation says it this way, the tongue makes grand speeches. Grand speeches. If you've lived any amount of time, you know that there are a lot of tongues that talk a big game but don't deliver. <laughs> if you ever play sports, oh man, there are a lot of tongues that talk a big game but don't deliver. And there's a phrase, and I'm going to say a word that my wife suggested I should not say, but for the sake of context, I'm going to say it. In sports, coaches can look at you if you're running your mouth and say, you better put up or shut up. Let your game speak for you. Stop running your mouth about what you're going to do that you never deliver on or you can't even deliver. The tongue makes great Boasts. We can make big claims about our abilities, our skill sets, our desires, our talents. We can have what I like to call a master's degree in intention. I have a doctorate in, in intention. But can often make promises, boasts, and claims that are never kept. Please allow me to remind us all today that intentions mean nothing without actions that follow. Intentions mean nothing without actions that follow. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, Your actions speak so loud I can't hear what you're saying. I can't hear what you're saying. I am drowned out by the promises that you're making because your actions never line up with your mouth. 
Proverbs 25, 14 says this. This is the, the scripture, Jesse. Like billowing clouds that bring no rain is the person who talks big but never produces. You can own a room with your presence. You can have all of the charisma in the world. You can talk a big game. But if you don't back it up, you're like the tongue that just makes great boasts. Don't talk about it. Be about it. See, what we say does not matter if there's no follow through. I believe God would, would rather have us say nothing and do it than say something and don't. And uh, this is one of the reasons why I really appreciate my dad, because he always modeled being a man of his word. My dad said he was going to be there. He was going to be there, and he was going to be there about 45 minutes early. <laughs> Whether I liked it or not, still to this day, he's like, what time is the party? Four o'clock? I'll be there at 2.15. Hey, we're not even ready yet. We're not ready. I'm talking about movies. If the start time was 7 p.m., we're there at 5.45. People haven't even left the theater yet. Got to get a seat. Got to avoid the rush. But he was always a man of his word. And here's the thing. He taught me and raised me to be a man of my word. He said, you better do what you say you're going to do. Because people are relying on what you say. Don't be a person that makes big boasts, but don't deliver. And so I remember particularly when I was a teenager and uh, our annual winter conference was coming up for our church. It was a, it was a winter camp and uh, I had decided in the fall while well, I played basketball throughout high school, you probably not tell from my physique these days, but that's okay. It's another conversation. Don't bring it up right now, Tim Rio. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Tomorrow. <laughs> but we play basketball. I play basketball every single uh, year in high school. And uh, our winter conference uh, got put on the schedule, and I'm looking at my basketball game schedule, and here's the problem. The same weekend that I've got winter conference, I've got a doubleheader. Got a game Friday night and Saturday night. So I'm super pumped to go, so excited for my spiritual growth and development, my maturation. And we come home from a basketball practice one night, my dad said, hey man, you're not going. Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> Do you not care about my spiritual growth? And I'm so upset. I'm like, you know, and now here's the thing. The church would be like, help to keep him away from the winter camp. What kind of father are you? And I remember in vividly in that truck him saying, you gave your team your word. They expect you to be there. And this is what he said. He said, if you wanted to go to winter camp, you should have counted the cost before you decided to make the commitment. Right. Now, let me just say something really quickly. That lesson was more impartation than I would have got at the camp. Right. Because that has still stayed with me. Right. 
that I don't run my mouth about something that I boast I'm going to do unless I've counted the cost about what's required to do it. Be, make promises that you're going to keep. And so I remember that moment, and that moment has stuck with me since then because he was teaching me to be a person of my word. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now watch this. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. See, we know the first half of the verse, but we, we don't even think about the second half. Anything more than that comes from the evil one. What is the anything more that, than that that comes from the evil one? Here's, here's what it is. It's the confusion that you leave people with because of the inconsistency between your words and your actions. That's what you leave people with. When your no isn't no, it's actually yes. And when your yes is not yes, it's actually no. People don't know where you stand. All you do is confuse and confuse and confuse. And it's the reputation that people are left with that you aren't a person of your word because you did not count the cost on the front end. Listen, here's the cost of not counting the cost, your credibility. The cost of not counting the cost is your credibility. Do you want some, see, I'm just, I'm telling you, if, if my dad said he's going to be there, he's going to be there. And if he can't be, you better believe he's going to call me the moment he knows he won't be there on time to let me know he won't be there. How many no calls, no shows are normalized in our culture today as something that doesn't matter? Respond to the call. Respond to the text. Put it on your calendar. You don't have any excuse. You can be like, Siri, remind me. No excuse. Hey, you're lying. You got the text. We don't live in the days of roaming anymore. That's far gone. You got the text. You got it. Stop lying. You got it. You got the text. I didn't see it. Yes, you did. You saw it. You jumped over it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14. I love this. Luke 14, 28 through 30. About counting the cost. For which one of you, when he wants to build... By the way, let's talk about the context. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Therefore, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it began, begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish? 
Or what king, when he sets out, to, sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? The point is, is count the, the cost. We do this with, with building planning. We don't do this with what we're saying. And that's the thing. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. In the slow season, before you open your mouth, consider the cost of what you're going to say and the commitment that, that those words will require. This morning's important reminders from the book of James are, number one, we need to be careful with our words because the tongue does damage long after the initial words are spoken. Two, because our tongues can be used to accomplish the agendas of the enemy. And three, because our tongues make great boasts. And last but not least, if I can have the worship team come forward, we need to be mindful not to be careless with our words because the greatest news of all, the tongue can't be tamed. Thanks, James. It's like he goes on this rant about the, da- the destructive nature of the tongue, and he's like, oh, last thing, it can't be tamed. Cool. Way to leave me on a high note. Verse 8 says, no human being can tame the tongue. No human being. That's so true, but I'd like to suggest, you, suggest to you this morning that what the human being can't tame, the Holy Spirit can. James said, no human being can tame the tongue. That's so true. But the Holy Spirit can. The Holy Spirit can tame the tongue. Now here's, what do we do? We will never tame the tongue. So our responsibility is James 1.26. Simply be bridled. Simply be bridled. Going back to James 1.26, it says this. It says, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So it's not about taming the tongue. It's about being bridled. And by the way, that's what this is. It's not an Indiana Jones whip. This is a bridle. And uh, I got this, I took this off my horse at my ranch. I don't even know how it works. I'm acting like I do, I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, whatever. There we go. No, this is actually courtesy of Dana and Leslie. They for real got a horse. A bridle. All we need, we cannot tame our tongue. We just need to allow someone else to bridle it. Our job is simply to allow to be bridled. Listen to me this morning. Horses don't tame themselves. They wear bridles. And in time, the bridle led by the one who is leading the horse will eventually tame the horse. Now I want you to listen to this because this is so interesting. James knows that we cannot tame our own tongue, but if we allow ourselves to be bridled by the Holy Spirit, our tongue can be tempered by His leading. Look at what James 3 says. It goes on to say this in that same passage, James 3. It says, 
Now, if we put bits into the horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Listen to me this morning. Do you want to know if the Holy Spirit is really leading you, the indication is whether or not he's bridling your mouth. Because if he's controlling your mouth, just as the scripture says, he's controlling everything else. Your mouth is what steers you because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want to know that whether or not the Holy Spirit's really leading you, does he have your tongue? And I'll never forget this. This is what uh, Marlene Bickle shared with me last week. Can I share this? The story? Sure. She said this. I'll never for, I, I will never forget this. She said, I was at a service years ago. This is such a powerful picture. I was at a service years ago, and the Holy Spirit began to convict me. And I, I saw a, a vision of the cross. And Jesus was hanging there, but next to him on the cross was my tongue nailed. And it was fighting the death. It was fighting, but she said, that picture is so vividly embedded in my mind of what needs to happen to our tongue. We need to be bridled we cannot tame the tongue. The Holy Spirit is the one that tames it. Two things quickly that we can do to allow our tongues to be bridled. Number one, our tongues are bridled when we behold Jesus. Just this morning in worship, I was reminded of something that was spoken, that was wrong, that I needed to repent for. Our tongues are bridled in, by beholding Jesus. How, how do I know that? We become most like whatever we behold most. In Matthew 26, 73, when Peter was following Jesus, after his arrest, listen to this, a girl approaches him and said, I know that you follow him because your speech gives you away. Does your speech give away? that you follow Jesus. Do you know, let me just say it this way, do you know that often it's not what you say, but what you choose not to say that gives away whether or not you follow him? The other day we were watching this homesteading show and I got the impression just by the way that the people on the show would talk that they believed in Jesus. I looked them up, sure enough. Why? Because their speech gave them away. Now, some people would argue in that there's other translations that says, for you are Gal you speak like a Galilean, and it was your accent that gives you away. Evidently, there was an accent for the region, but I don't believe that to be true, and here's why. Because the moment that Peter was confronted with whether or not he was going to follow Jesus or deny him in the moment, he changes his speech. It's not about an accent, it's about content. And it says he begins to proclaim what? Curses. 
Let me show you I don't follow him. Does your speech give you away? See, Peter's mouth in that moment before he decided to curse Jesus, it began to reflect what he was beholding most. I want you to listen to what happens to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has a vision and it says in verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord. He's beholding Jesus. He's beholding God sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Angels stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. And watch Isaiah's reaction to beholding Jesus. Verse 5, Then Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. Do you want to know whether or not your lips are clean? Get in the presence of God, and it will become glaringly clear when you see the holiness of Jesus. Where you are falling short. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Why? Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah has seen the Lord. He's beholding him. And what does Isaiah discover about himself? What is the thing that Isaiah discovers needs to be dealt with most? His tongue. And by the way, here's another addition to the tongue making great boasts. We can boast, and I am so convicted by this truth. We can boast about the depth of our relationship with God. We can boast about our intimacy with Jesus. We can boast about all of the revelation we've had. But if our tongue makes boasts about that, yet we don't have a conviction to change what comes out of our mouths, are we just talking about a place we've never been to? Isaiah said, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips. Beholding Jesus is how we have a bridal tongue. And the second one is this. Our tongues are bridled by Jesus when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. A tongue that can be set on fire must be replaced by a tongue that is set on fire by heaven. It's no coincidence that before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he knows that they need a new tongue. I want you to see this picture. This is Pentecost, which happens to be the end of this month that we celebrate. But Jesus knows after he's died, after he's rose again, that the next thing the people that are going to follow him need is a new tongue. So wait in Jerusalem for the promised Holy Spirit. In verse uh, 2 and, uh, through 4 of Acts chapter 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire, not set on fire by hell now, set on fire by heaven, 
distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with another tongue. As the Spirit was giving them utterance. What does as the Spirit giving them utterance mean? They're bridled and he's steering them. They're, they're under the bridle when they're filled with the Spirit. And what was coming out of their mouths when the Holy Spirit was leading their tongue? They were proclaiming the mighty works and deeds of God. They were speaking life and not death. Listen to me this morning. No human being can tame the tongue, but the Holy Spirit can. And when the Holy Spirit is leading your lips, your tongue will be bridled. Our tongues are bridled in beholding Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit. But where does it all start? It starts with surrender. I was talking to Jesse earlier about the bridling. And we don't have a horse, but we have a dog. And there's this thing called a gentle lead. And I just started to think about this earlier today. But with the gentle lead, you literally put this thing around their snout. And any time that the, the, the dog takes a left or a right where you don't want them to go, it pulls them back to where you want them to go. This is, what, this is the picture of being bridled by the Holy Spirit. It's, it eventually, with a horse, that bridle will be there forever. They will feel that bridle, but there's got to be a point where they recognize, I'm not bucking anymore. It's there. I know what's going to happen if I try to buck it. It's there. I can feel it. But where do you want me to go? What do you want to come out of my mouth? Let me just tell you a bridling moment. I had a joke to open up with today that I thought was funny, and I asked the Holy Spirit, what do I need to cut out? And he said, I don't think that's funny. I was like, I kind of think it's funny, though. I don't. I don't think it's funny. Bridling. And so the message, I'm, I'm, I'm being bridled in the moment. Because I wanted, I thought it would make everybody laugh. Except for the Holy Spirit. What, how do, where does it start? It starts with surrender. It starts with saying, I don't want to fight and resist the Holy Spirit anymore. I think it's Timothy says, don't quench, quench the Holy Spirit. I think one of the ways we do that is we continue to buck the Holy Spirit when he's wanting to bridle our tongue to the point that we become numb and insensitive to his leadership. So where do we start? We start with surrender. As the song says, like a rushing wind, Jesus breathed within Lord, have your way, have your way in me. So in this moment, I want to go back into this song, and then I want to pray at the end. If you feel like the Lord has been speaking to you about coming under the bridle of the Holy Spirit, I want to pray for you. So will you just join me as we go back into this song? Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. 
For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.